Welcome to part three of Seeing Sound, the podcast where Playtronica and Lost and Sound team up and take you on a journey between what we hear and what we see. Presented by me, Paul Hanford. Okay, it might sound to you like I'm just by a dual carriageway, and I guess I kind of am, but I'm also by the longest remaining stretch of the Berlin Wall. It's now called the Eastside Gallery. 118 artists from 21 countries around the world were invited to contribute graffiti, murals, each having a slab each, running the course and transforming what was such a deep embedded part of history beautifully into artwork recontextualizing and that's kind of like the theme of what we're going to be looking at today in a way the way that art can really transform the meaning of something from what it originally was my first guest today is someone who has been recontextualizing existing forms of sound and vision since when this wall was actually originally up. Matt Black has been at the cutting edge of audiovisual experimentation since the 80s, forming the electronic act Cold Cut with Jonathan Moore, blending hip-hop production stylings and proto-acid house energy. They were amongst the first to incorporate video sampling into their live show, and from creating their own real-time video manipulation software, VJAM, way back in 1997, and the Hextatic collaboration, Timber, which we reference in the chat, to setting up NinjaTune, which today remains one of the most innovative, forward-thinking labels on the planet, Matt continues to constantly find new ways of connecting sound with vision and creating work that's both immersive and thought-provoking. This is what happened when we had a chat. One of the reasons I really wanted to speak to you for this project, which is all about how sound and vision have kind of combined, is is that um, Cold Cut have been like such a pioneer in terms of like combining sound and, uh, sound and vision in different ways. Right at the beginning, uh, when you were kind of getting into, because you were, you were a computer programmer, were you, before you started making music? Since I was a young boy, I, I used to enjoy messing around with sound, with sort of buzzers and uh, a little tape deck that I had. But I also enjoyed um, turning the lights off and inviting my mum and dad in and selling them a ticket to what my mum called a sound and light show. So I started doing that about age seven. I'm still sort of doing the same thing 50 years later, really. So from a young age, I've been interested in combining those. It was my mum that my mum said, oh, it's a sound and light show. So I think that bit of encouragement was was key. What was on your kind of like playlist at the time? Can you remember? At, at eight, it was before I'd even discovered Radio One, really. I was more into like abstract sound. Like I found that if I had a, a sort of electric motor with a battery switch, I could turn it on and I could hear it on the radio so I could make a noise with it. And I also had some quite funky toys like this moonwalker, which made noises and then moved randomly around, which I think was an early example of random stuff that you don't control can be quite cool the <laughs> moonwalking moonwalker toy it was called yeah that well that was before i sort of discovered pop music in a way but as i discovered pop then i sort of was hearing more of the sounds around and um yeah that developed my interest in it 
at age of 14, I started a little disco with my school friends. And um, I built a sound to light unit and also a strobe as well. So the sound to light unit, I was fascinated by that idea that you could play some sound and then get lights to flash triggered by the music. I just seemed to think that was really cool. Fantasia by uh, Walt Disney, the Fantasia film was a big influence. And that is about putting sound and visuals together in particular the section where they visualized the instruments of the orchestra as a sound waves that kind of blew my mind were you in london when you started making music yeah late 80s i was in london and that's when i started cold cut with jonathan and then that was in 1987 and by 1988 we'd made a little bit of money and i bought myself an uh, amiga computer because having been a computer programmer i'd always been fascinated by the idea of using computers creatively and George Clinton's Atomic Dog video was quite a big inspiration because he did a kind of joke computer game featuring the characters from the song and mixed that into the video and it's like wow that means you could you could make a whole video on one of these little micro computers so that was a big inspiration I started messing around with the Amiga trying to sample visuals paint on top of samples with deluxe paint and use those early visual instruments to com create an electronic counterpart to what we were doing with sampling and electronic music. And did you feel like, because um, obviously sampling kind of is, um, was so connotated to begin with, with both like hip hop and, and rave as well. And Cold Cut have always seemed to be kind of like a little bit of taken very strongly from both influences or feel like very sort of in both worlds and kind of combine them together back right at the beginning um was was there an excitement for you in the in these kind of in these kind of emerging musics yeah john and i were both we were basically real music heads and we were sort of children of john peel as well and john peel's contribution i think amongst other things was to make it cool to be into a lot of different sorts of music and so what john and i did was took that eclectic love of all different sounds. Um, then with DJing and hip hop techniques, hip hop DJing techniques particularly, gave us the chance to mix different musics together in a way that was sort of inspired by that love of all the different genres. And then we could physically mix those together using scratch DJ techniques and also beat mixing DJ techniques and find a way to montage different genres together. So the excitement of doing that was a big part of Cold Cut. And yeah, we were never just into hip hop or house. We drew on a, a big, um, you know, it's one of the advantages of being a bit older is you've had time to listen to more music. But I would say John and I particularly were into black music. I think it's good to use that term to acknowledge where it came from. Mm. So reggae, funk, soul, African music and all the many um, hybrids of it. Of course, hip hop and house later also originally coming from black people and black culture. They were, for whatever reasons, very attractive to John and I. And that was the basis of what we started doing with Cold Cut. Uh, it was also a chance you could montage anything together as well. And Steinsky from New York, Double D and Steinsky was a big influence. Um, showing how you could also include bits of cartoon, bits of old rock and roll, bits of film samples in with that hip hop collage to introduce other dimensions to it. And doing things like adding bits of cartoons and stuff like that kind of gives it like a kind of a 
you know, it's obviously like a kind of like there's a visual element to that. So did it feel quite a natural step to kind of bring in, start bringing in like a kind of, kind of visual cut-ups to, to match the music as well? Yeah, I think it was natural to start adding visuals to it. John used to teach 3D design and had been to art school. Um, my father was an artist as well, so I, I grew up in a house with a lot of paintings um, and a, a strong interest in visuals as well. And it, it always felt natural to combine those. John used to do things like collect old bits of interesting visual material. For instance, the sleeve of Doctor in the House is based on an old 50s shoebox that John had got in his kind of pack rack collection of uh, of materials. So yeah, visual montage had a clear relationship to audio montage. And of course, it does in the artistic world as well. So all kinds of montage or collage or bricolage, whatever you want to call it, it, it it was natural to us to start applying that to visuals as well. I, I guess you could say, you know, having come from a sort of quite arty background, but yet our main motivation was the funk and the music and DJing and the party scene. But at parties, there were also visuals as well. Um, and so getting some success with Cold Cut, bolting samples together and making these dance tracks that people liked, it then felt natural to try taking those techniques and the aesthetics and apply them to visual montage as well and that approach has really been very fruitful for us over well 30 34 years since we started cold cut now what we found was that yes you could take the aesthetics and the techniques and you could find visual analogs for those and by applying that you could start making links between sound and image exploring creating exploring researching that relationship um, which you know people have been interested in for at least hundreds of years, mm. but electronic technology has given us some new tool sets to play with that. Yeah, you know, perhaps you'll come to this, but I think I'd like to sort of put on the table the definition of what this art form is about. Mm. You hear people use a lot of different terms to describe try and describe the way in which you can combine sound and vision. French have the term sonny lumiere, which is nice. You also hear people talk about live cinema or video art or VJing. And, and there's a ton of other terms as well. I prefer the term AV just as audiovisual art. For me, that includes everything and it's as broad a term as possible. Live cinema, for instance, doesn't really include a piece like timber. Because timber is not just a pop video. The way in which the audiovisual relationships are constructed are, are not just conventional ones in, in a pop video. We're actually making a rhythmic eight audiovisual montage. So, you know, live cinema wouldn't really capture that because that would be about doing stuff live, whereas t Timber was an edited video piece, but yet an audiovisual piece. So I like that term and I'd like to, um, I think it would help the scene if that was more widely adopted because to give something a name that we can all agree upon. You can have other simultaneous labels, but something we can refer to, say, yeah, that's what I do, is AV art, mm -hmm. I think is helpful. And for me, AV means the art of audiovisual relationship. It's about relationships. So you've got the audio stream of information, the visual stream of information. And what we found is that you can observe and construct relationships between those two streams they can be quite literal like timber is or you know using a 
an audiovisual sample of someone speaking on the screen. So you see their face and you hear the, the voice. But you can also put any visual together with any sound. And th by doing that, you create a relationship because we're audiovisual creatures and we're synced to see that sync. And we're, we're programmed to enjoy and make sense of those relationships. So to me, AV, the art of audiovisual relationship, kind of defines this. I'd like to finish with um, a, a description from the, the, the composer Scryabin, who apparently was a synesthesiast. And uh, I read this quote in Mondo 2000 a few years ago, and I thought it was pretty cool that he planned his masterpiece as a liturgical enactment in which sound, poetry, music, light, and even perfume would combine to induce a supreme final ecstasy in the worshipper. So I think, yeah, I want to be at that party. Thanks, Matt. And if that party ever happens, please, please, please make sure I get an invite. Next up, we're going to go over to Barcelona to meet an artist whose work really incorporates audio and visual in a way that is so tactile and colourful and sensual. Lope Serrano, director, illustrator, who, alongside Nicholas Mendes, founded Canada, the creative production company. Serrano has not directed any feature films and doesn't consider himself a traditional filmmaker, but instead creates realities within stunning videos for the likes of Tame Impala and Dua Lipa. For Lope, music videos are a unique art form, a way of expressing something that you feel rather than that makes logical sense. And this is what happened when we caught up. Yeah. Well, my name is Lopez Serrano. I'm um, 44 years old. I'm co-founder of uh, Canada, the production company, and also I am director. And Canada has been actually the name I've been using, sharing it with uh, my other partner, Nicolas Mendez, as a director as well. So it's a little bit confusing, but it makes sense if, if I can explain it. We founded Canada uh, in 2000. And 2007, 2008, me, Nicolas, and, and Mr. Bero, we are three friends, three directors, and we share a lot of things in common. Uh, not only the age, but some kind of the same, the same, the same kind of uh, stimulus and references. And so uh, we decided to join forces under the under a name. So creating the idea of um, not a production company, but you know, like a war name to join forces in the, in the field of uh, the audiovisual, let's say. Uh, like a, like a, at the end, it was sort of a, an analogy to a rock band. You know, it was the last attempt of creating something bigger than us uh, in the last days of our youth, hoping that, uh, yeah, having a name that wasn't us, particular name, personal name, we, we, could, be, we could be stronger. And at the beginning was obviously, um, completely the wrong uh, idea. I mean, at the beginning, it was tough to survive. It was tough to make understand to the, to the, the market who, who, who we are and why we were together. It's like, why are you together if you are directing individually? Yeah, we are directing individually, but we are uh, doing the treatments together. We are sharing uh, 
sharing uh, references together, trying to be as 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 close as we can, uh, not only creatively but also in the same kind of, of life. So anyway, we 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 create the studio. Let's say we found uh, the office. We hired someone who was in charge of the production of of the day life of everyday life of the of the company. And we started to work yeah, together doing what we usually did when we were alone. So basically music videos and then some commercials to, to pay the, the bills. And yeah, uh, something happened in 2010 when we did uh, a music video that, you know, went viral basically at the beginning of the, of the, of the internet era, let's say 2010, where everything exploded in terms of social, um, social networks and the way that music videos were shared. Um, so we did this music video called um, Bombay for Gicho, mm. who was, um, who was the, uh, a local musician also, a Spanish musician, who is actually, and he's, he's very successful right now. And it becomes something bigger than we expected, obviously, and put us in the, in the international map, you know, and, and then some production companies from, from Paris and London, they call us, and then we start to play, you know, the game, let's say the game of being being in the world. Uh, we were in a, <clears throat> in a city and we were proud of it because, you know, it's, it's important to start your business um, as close as you, you can to the things that you have and you know. So being part of the city, being part of the local scene was was what make, make, made us stronger at the beginning, working with young people who were passionate for what we were doing, whatever, and having an office that was a place where people was coming here and there and not having, you know, the, the rules, the strict rules of a company at the very beginning or the, the need of, of, of making a lot of money just survive at the beginning. So we were light, we were young, and we, we, we were lucky of, of, of being successful. We hired Oscar Romagosa, which is our CEO, and it becomes the, 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 the executive producer of the company. And then we started to hire other directors. So what, we, what it was like, um, like adventure of three, it become an adventure of, of more. We are oriented to music videos because music videos for, for directors that are like, I mean, obviously, there's like this um, idea of doing fiction and, and doing long films and, and, and long, long, long features. And, and that's the, it's one of the, um, one of the goals when you are trying to direct, but at the same time, there's another way of directing, which is less narrative and more based on express yourself through, through images, let's say through, through pictures, through, through non-connected uh, stories. Uh, and if you are this kind of director, music videos is the place where you can express yourself in a more uh, free way. So that's how we started to work on this world. And music videos has become since then like the nuclear uh, base of our, of our um, philosophy, let's say. You sort of mentioned about like, you know, the Canada and the reference to being like a rock band as well. Has, yeah. Did you always feel that sort of as a director and as an illustrator as well, that you had this desire to express music in a visual form with your work? Yeah, totally. I mean, music is, uh, music um, goes with you all your life. It's, uh, it's uh, the trigger to memories, it's a trigger to, uh, Music comes from 
from an unknown place. It's not real. It's it's like something that is in the future and in the past at the same time. It's it's very mysterious how music affects to your soul. I mean, images are more images somehow are like um, dead bodies, you know, because you have to capture the 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 the, the images. And one once you have captured the images, you know, you 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 you've got them like like dead animals. I mean, they are beautiful. They are inspiring. But there's something that has the, the smell of, of death on images. But music is uh, music is is constantly alive, and at the same time, it doesn't exist. You know, it doesn't have. So this philosoph philosophical approach to music is just to say that yeah, musical is 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 your is the best guideline in order to find images, um, unless you are doing fiction, obviously. You have to say that music is, is always there and when you have to express yourself and you don't have a script and you don't know what to say about life, at least taking a, a song and using a track as a sort of therapy, you know, that, mm. that, 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 that takes from your, from your inside what you don't know, it's, a, it's, it's very useful. I mean, music is, uh, if, you don't, if you don't know the words, at least you have the music, you know, and then mm. music, music helps you to... to to find images which are just ways of illustrating what music suggests to you. You know, that's, that, that's sort of the process. So even though you are doing images and that's the most um, tough thing to do, I mean, to do a shot, to do a picture is, is quite easier, but to do a shot, it involves a lot of people, a lot of technical issues, it's very expensive. So at the end, you're a, technic you're a technician on creating images. But to be honest, that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is the other thing, the, the musical side, you know, the the the, the 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 spiritual side of you. Then images are like the the physic the physicality, which is obviously what you are creating. But it's more important the the spiritual side. Music is the most the most perfect art form, I think. Because it sort of seems to me that one thing you can do with music videos that you can't. Well, maybe you could do with a full feature, but it would just take forever to do and all the money yeah. in the world is the way you, <laughs> could, you use like bodies and colors um, to correspond with sound. You know, that feels like there's, yeah. and it's in a way that we feel, but we don't quite know why we, we feel that they go together. H how do you decide what sound fits what what image fits with what sound well it's unconscious i mean i don't have the the recipe for that i don't know i don't know how it works i guess it's something that happens when you close the when you close your eyes and and and, and you feel it and then so it's very intuitive uh, it's natural it's intuitive the the music you like i guess gives you the images that it's more commonly associated. So if you like the, the, the doo-bop music from the 50s, which mm. I love, for instance, then you get more into a kind of uh, color palette of, uh, um, of cheerful colors or more related to some uh, kind of kitsch. You can infer sort of fake um, fake voice, uh, fake personality on, on those songs, which I love at the same time. You know, it's, it's sort of, so from, from that consideration, then maybe the colors you have to use are, are not fake, but you know, if you think on this kind of doo-wop music from the 50s or 40s or 50s, 60s, 
uh, yeah, I mean, the, the life was not technicolor. The life was not, uh, the colors were not necessarily cheerful and, and, and bright. Um, but there's a way, I mean, there's a tendency of, 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 of yeah, of relating uh, one sound to one color. And then, then this is why I think it's good. I mean, what I like more in, 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 in feature films is when you can explore the opposite, you know, when you can, when you can explain a story of a, of a love in the 50s between two teenagers, but with Mozart music, you know, mm. with Beethoven music, when you, you don't use what it's, you know, the cliche, but something completely opposed or with, with techno music, you know, like putting a music that didn't exist. I love mm. that when music, when, when, when movies do that, you know, because it's like, okay, but when this is not what happened yet, that's exactly what I'm trying to 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 get something that didn't happen, you know? something that it's it's unexpected and new. Basically, we should we should not take care about cliches and trying mm-hmm. to to go, you know, where you, the intuition uh, is 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 guiding you. So I think the takeout I got from those two interviews was really different from the takeout that I thought, the take in, what I thought would happen beforehand. In that, yeah, it was about AV, two artists that work with uh, ideas around AV in very, very, very different ways. And yeah, we did talk about that. But I think like getting to the end of listening to them today, um, I kind of feel that it was all about recontextualization. It's about how you can change the meaning of something in how you combine it with different things. And I think maybe that is the real essence that I got about what audiovisual, when combined, can really, really, really do is take two totally different things, put them together, and you create something that either makes non-linear sense, but you feel it, or it makes you want to dance, or, it, or or you respond to it in some kind of way or other. Like even where I'm stood now, I'm in Gorlitzer Park in Berlin, and this is like a really kind of green, lots of trees, bit of a valley, bit of a hill, but it's actually an old train station that they've just stuck loads of stuff on and turned it into a park. And we'll be back next week where we continue our encounters into what we see and what we hear. Seeing Sound is a Lost and Sound production for Playtronica, written and produced by me, Paul Hanford. Music by Olga Maximova. And thanks in this episode to Lope Serrano and Matt Black.